You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover Magic, the Gathering Finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Alrighty, guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast, the third and final part of basically how the overall economy is impacting, how we think it will impact, mm -hmm. etc., the magic economy at large. So, this is kind of like a just tidying up episode. Yes. Um, we're basically looking and like, okay, so this is some stuff that's happened recently that we may or may not think is related to the overall economy or is indicative of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's a few things here, but should be pretty pretty quick tidy up. So yeah. let's get started. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go kind of big to small in regards to what people would see on their own, um, starting with the very public moving of sealed product that Star City did through their own accounts, through Ben Blywis and through Pete Hoffling. Pete was mainly operating in Facebook groups, I believe, to offload the same kind of product. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of question about why they would be moving basically like the last three or four standard sets at the prices and quantity they were looking for. And this was in the kind of doldrums between events. And it just kind of sparked the question of, well, what are they doing? A lot of people thought, well, they're not doing as well as they thought they would, et cetera, et cetera. And to us, this is just moving inventory. It's going to sit there. This is inventory that's rotting. Like it was AFR, Baldur's Gate kind of stuff. Yeah. They are not a commander-based company. So they're going to move what they can. There are some other odds and ends in there. People love Crimson Vow and Midnight Hunt still, so selling bundles openly to the public is pretty easy, especially when you drop your prices down to realistic numbers like the open market suggests instead of charging your Star City premium. And, yeah. you know, it seemed like we kind of caught them at a time where they realized they could liquidate for more cash on hand for additional 2x2 allocation because it's still a point in time where we were waiting on 2x2, Dominaria United, Etc. Maybe dodge some warehouse, uh, some business tax by uh, moving stuff from the warehouse at reduced price. Uh, eat a little bit of cost there, show a loss. You know, play with the business taxes, etc. And just try and make liquid products that for them could have very well been illiquid. Yep. But we've never really seen them do that before. Yeah, and I I think the interesting thing here is the timing on this. So obviously, you know, it's. <laughs> A big deal that they're getting money back uh and the economy's not doing great the other interesting thing is this is right before the paypal transition takes place so if you're going to move a lot of inventory at once one of the ways a lot of big vendors do it is through you know business checks or paypal uh well if you're gonna sell it all and there's this imminent paypal change coming it makes sense to kind of get a whole ahead of that uh additionally something we now know that has been announced since is Star City is going to be one of the primary partners for the Calling series. Well, if the Calling is a thing that's happening, guess what? You need money for that. You yep. need startup. Why not take this product that is not great and then go from there? Just see what happens. Uh, so get rid of that stuff. Now, the other thing that people were talking about is Star City, in addition to this, has kind of made a pivot in their events. Uh, they're 
now only doing trade at shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the interesting things about this is, you know, it legitimately actually makes shows a little bit cheaper. Um, You don't necessarily have to have a manager with a position that you did before. You can go a little bit lower on the totem pole when they don't have to guard tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. Uh, It also lets you get rid of a couple of buyer stations, which buyers are typically more expensive than front of house employees. And what it does is it lets Star City capitalize on something that is already probably their most liquid part of any of their booth, the damaged HP foreign case. Uh, So what can you do then? You take only trade-in credit, which means all of the cards that you bring with churn for more cards. So you can more aggressively buy some of those damaged cards to restock them. Because what's something else that when people don't necessarily have as much money to throw around, they like to do? Well, they still want to get cards, but they want to get them cheaper. Yep. So guess what? You get them cheaper. Yep. So the, I think that's way better. Yeah. The, the trade bump is super super appealing. And as most vendors will tell you, if they could do nothing but trade on any given weekend, they would absolutely do that. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, it's very, very good. I think for generally not just Star City, but also for players to have something like this where, you know what, I don't want to pay $400 for an HP Vulk, but if Star City has one that has a creased corner that's still fine in a double sleeve for $300, i will trade for that. Are you kidding? Yeah, There's absolutely. no way I won't do that. Yep. I, then there is the aside that it helps keep people within the Star City ecosystem because the credit the credit generally transfers onto the website, which means the more shows that Star City can make it out to, the better they do at their their local store, etc. The more the larger number of customers they'll retain. The more people will continue to flow through their ecosystem as they seem to transfer to more of a flesh and blood and commander kind of ecosystem on the website uh, product based yeah. etc and i was honestly surprised to hear that they rolled up to was it gen con gen con yeah with with uh trade only but it also you know makes sense the majority of players now are there to jam commander they'll graze cases and when you bring in so many of those high-end cards in a played state, it makes it easier for people to want to trade into them yeah. than necessarily drop hundreds of dollars more when they've already spent so much to get to Gen Con. Or if they're out of Magic 30, if there is the East Coast one that, where I assume Star City would be. And this is, like you said, kind of a, a brand new thing for them. We've seen... Yeah. Uh, Vendors like Troll and Toad go the opposite direction, showing up with like empty cases and Cash. the largest stack in the room, just looking to buy, to restock the website essentially. Um, but this is the first time Star City went the other way. Yeah. Then anything else on this? You want to keep going? Uh, let's let's get going to the next one, which okay. kind of does dovetail in uh, yeah. because we talk about. Star City becoming the main provider of the callings, which mm-hmm. is the FOB equivalent of a Pro Tour. And that is the TCG player and Channel Fireball merger. Yeah. So I don't necessarily think this one was timed because of the economy. I think it's kind of fitting and coincidentally well-timed, but yeah. 
I think, and this is something that you and I have talked about, is, you know, the main draw here, I feel like, for TCG player was the binder POS system. I, yeah. I think getting that kind of software and that kind of back end, because I'm not, you know, saying anything controversial here. TCG players, like, back end is dog shit. It is so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it is just miserable to deal with they don't have a good pos they don't have a good inventory none of that stuff is good but it's stuff that as part of like tcg pro or whatever you know they want you to have and now having that back end is good i think the timing of this the way in which it does tie into the economy is sasso you know has been trying to get out of this for a while now um and now great i'm out i don't have anything to do with it i don't have to pay the employees or any of that and I think that this also, you know, again, we touched on this before. The CFBE thing, I think, is probably the most surprising part of this because yeah. everyone knew CFB fired all of its employees. Most of us didn't know it still existed. So for them to make a point to say that they acquired it is the interesting thing about it to me. Yep. Uh- also, uh, of note, from the previous episode, we mentioned that LGSs need to look for additional revenue streams, and if they weren't already sold on the CFB marketplace, bringing it into the TCG player ecosystem does offer that opportunity for the LGS. So as far as TCG player and CFB are concerned in regards to the economy overall, it really is not like the most important thing that needed to be done in either direction, but this does continue to push the narrative that the LGS does need additional revenue streams does yes. they need additional ways to sell their products besides in store yeah. um, the other thing i like about the binder pos system is that it also offers an alternative to crystal commerce though that now that means you're buying into the tcg player product suite and i don't know if they want to be a software company uh, yeah they can still maintain under the umbrella of whatever TCG player is under, you know, the side-by-side entities, and you just keep buying into products that are made by the Binder POS team. But yeah, neither here nor there. It's a growth opportunity. It doesn't really af- affect anybody else besides TCG and then the, the LGS. So, oh. Nope, I got nothing else. All right. So taking a step back a little bit, talking, looking at CFBE and Star City, we have been seeing a lack of vendors at events overall. People, you know, looking to fill tables at the last moment because vendors either don't have the money or don't want to show up to what's been going on. Alongside that, it seems like we also don't have, aside from the standard conventions, we don't have a lot going on anymore. You and I talked yesterday about TCGCon, and it seems like yeah, exactly that kind of fell out. So yeah. right now it seems like Collecticon, which uh, is kind of below most people's radar, is still going pretty strong. There's something in Pittsburgh that happens all the time, Steel City something or other. Yeah, uh, Steel City Cards, which is like a baseball card company, has their big Steel City Con that they do. Um, and it's kind of, you know, it's it's shifted less and less about magic events and more about just general nerd shit events really yeah you know i i don't really think there's anything that you know we're saying that's controversial we do have you know as far as we know what in like 10 days i think is probably maybe the last tcg con in tampa Mm -hmm. uh which is interesting because tampa tcg con was the first big event post COVID, and it was insane supposedly 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, you know, what you're seeing is not just this shift towards these, like, I don't want to call them fringe events because they're not really fringe events at all. Uh, but less mainstream events yeah. is, I think, it, it is one in impact of the economy because people are less, well, partially economy, partially pandemic, partially a few things. But, you know, you want to go broader strokes with this stuff to get a more captive audience because you need that attendance for the event to be worth it. Yes. Uh, and I think that, you know, Gen Con obviously is Gen Con. That's going to happen regardless. But, you know, this is kind of belied by the fact that, you know, vendors aren't showing up as much because people aren't showing up as much and people aren't showing up as much because it's more expensive. Take a look at magic 30. Uh, the only way that I could tell on the website to get a pass for the command zone was the Ruby ticket, which is $350 because the command zone is not itself a free add on. Correct. So I fully expect people to just be in the halls playing. Yeah. On the floor, whatever. The, the only way you could play your own commander deck at that event if it wasn't in the command zone and not deal with some weird arch enemy style uh, rule base they wanted to slap on top of it was the 1C EDH event that they were going to host. Everything else had some set of words to describe a rule set that we don't know about yet that's going to be put on top of a commander event. And I believe the overwhelming majority of them also involved you getting a pre-con to start yep. the events. They did. So there's a, a lot of to-do uh, about that. Star Cities also announced the last four events for the year. We have, starting this coming weekend, August 19th, as of, we re- as of this recording, is Baltimore. Then September, yes. October, and November, basically all about a month apart, and they're going to be Magic, Fab, etc. And we already talked about that, where you have this kind of commingling of players and vendors, that segregation of vendors based on what they're there to do, and then a continued displeasure from the vendor side of things as you have a, a, a disproportionate number of players to vendors of that particular type, making it difficult to work with. We haven't mentioned it in a while, but a lot of people will tell you that used to work the Grand Prix circuit. You wanted about 100 players to every vendor or something thereabout. Anything more, and it would just be insane from the vendor side of things. And I don't mean like from a cash flow. I just mean from the ability to get work done. Like, yeah, it's just going to be bad customer service all around because you can't keep up. Anything less and you start getting vendors who are just sitting there doing nothing. Because yeah. the players are so spread out around the room, there's no concentration, and there's too much overlap in product, which is a weird thing to think about. But it it's, happens. Exactly. And it's been happening more lately, which somewhat nicely dovetails into the next point, unless you have anything else? No, not really. Uh, we were seeing a bunch of aggressive buy numbers at shows. So we tweeted out from SEG Richmond and another event in April as well a bunch of bio lists from cool stuff from 95 and from uh magic corner and yep we basically see aside from cool stuff who has a board of just kind of lower end cards uh, that i've brought up on the screen now we see a lot of high-end float so we see 95 floating library of alexandria at $2,700 uc at $775 Valk at $775 we see them uh, float across multiple events and then we see 
uh, what is it? Magic Corner floating HP Vox at 500 and traps at 450, kind of as like a quantitative easing for the populace. Like, hey, you can out your cards for a really good amount, and we have no problem sitting on them because vendors know that they will have their out in time. It could be that same event. It could be an event down the road. It could be through their website. But when they have the ability to just reach a national audience, they will do so. And they will be able to move these cards. Yeah. And that's it. That's also important because we're seeing some vendors overseas for the first time. Mm -hmm. So what do you do when to address our last point, there's not as many people there. You have to pay more money. So yes. the magic corner list that we shared basically where you had HP Volks at 450, 500. Okay, well, that's a pretty big deal. Yes. Uh, especially when you consider, let's let's take a look. As of right now, this recording, uh, an HP Volcanic Island is, guess what? $500 on TCG. That's low. Mm-hmm. So when you have that out that you can take it back to and you want to be competitive when there's maybe 600 people there with 12 vendors, that's what you have to do. Uh, so, you know, and this was granted prior to the euro being equal to the dollar, but nevertheless, this is something that, you know, you you're when you are trying to make money, sometimes you have to make your margins smaller to keep the churn going you can't necessarily always offer the same numbers because i mean we're not where we were four years ago where it was the same vendors at every single event and you had that kind of brand loyalty because you knew what toa was you knew what moose loot was you knew what cool stuff what strike zone what all of these companies were they weren't just the best number in the room now we're kind of back to that well they're the best number in the room so I'm just going to go to them. Go straight to them. Yep. And I think that's, you know, very important as a vendor to recognize, look, if, you know, I know Magic Corner is going to be in an event. All right. Well, when you're paying 500 for a UC and I'm only paying 350 in store, I've got 20 of these things that are going to sit here. I guess I'm going to unload some of them to Magic Corner so I can get some churn going. Yep. This and the, pay bills. Yep, the vendor-to-vendor -vendor stuff we talk about usually happens yeah. on Sunday. Sometimes it happens ahead of time if you're going to set up a large enough deal, and that is kind of works kind of off by a list, right? Yeah. So again, we'll use Magic Corner as an example because they have the easiest to see uh, by list with the duels. I'll bring it up again. You know that the preview show you were at a couple weeks ago, their numbers for duels right here, very easy to see. So one of your Magic Specialists hits up their specials like look this is what we've got this is what we want to move let's get something done and that will not affect the bylaws at the show that's just based off the bylaws numbers that you know that are in front of you and that happens all the time b2b is is usually popular just behind the scenes yep it is not something that is fringe like the next topic we'll get into but it is a a known quantity and something that's done all the time to keep that sharing going because everybody's player base is different. The personality of everybody's player base is wildly different, or consumer yeah. uh, on the website. The the profile is different, so you have to say your customers, your profile, and you also can't turn off your buy list. No, you know. So you might stock up on UCs unnecessarily because they're on your buy list, but you know where your outs are. Yep. So you can keep that churn going. You make that outreach. So something that's a little more fringe that we just saw about two weeks ago 
is the sale from Heritage Auctions of a BGS Time Twister graded a 5, which is exceedingly low for the amount that it sold for. It is, yeah. What did it go for? Uh, 3.6 with premium, uh, which... The, the, the rule, and for those of you that are not vendors, you may not know this, the rule right now for vendors is buy every single time twister you can that's less than six grand. Uh, so any, any twister you can get for less than six grand, you snap up. Uh, so here is an opportunity where you can make a little bit of money because Heritage has these daily auctions, these weekly auctions, these monthly auctions. And obviously, they get a ton of, you know, traffic on their sports cards auctions. They've got the 52 Mantle that's about to set a record. But a lot of people don't realize they have some very good TCG auctions as well. Oh, yeah. Especially because a lot of this stuff just ends up as, like, CGC slabs. Well, nobody wants those, and nobody goes to Heritage. So you combine those two things, and you actually end up pretty okay with everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, we knew Heritage was getting into the into the game. It's a note we've had floating around since we we started the podcast, and it's something we were kind of waiting to really see. And if you take a look at the strand on our website, if after searching for a magic card, it's just kind of everything you would expect. Everything from duels to power to a Charizard, it's up there. Yeah. And they're moving it. And Heritage getting into the game means kind of that our mar- this market is in a more mature spot right now. Yeah. Um, one of our first guests talked about the coin market and the compar- and the graded coin market compared to the graded Magic and CCG market and how age plays into the legitimacy and pricing for individual grading houses and then the market on the whole. Yeah. And Heritage Auction is... Uh, huge into I guess graded coins and graded sports cards so seeing the stuff moving, moving reliably, moving at a premium is is exciting uh, I, did, I did not know that there was a call out for Twisters but it is the one piece of power that I knew that perpetually lagged behind despite being the only one that everybody wants because it's legal and commander and I think as far as Canlander is concerned, that's basically Commander where you have a point system for some of the most powerful cards in the game. It is, by points, the cheapest piece of power, I think. I not believe so, yeah. Not 100% on that, but I believe it's the case, and that's why you see a lot of people jamming blue is because you still got a piece of power. So yeah. It is what it is. Oh, there's 17 unlimited twisters on TCG Play right now. It's a lot. Yeah, just curious to see. They're all floating above 6K. So yeah, that was kind of right right in the spot. I don't think any of them are graded, though. So we'll see what goes on. Uh, but as far as just the kind of potpourri information we wanted to give, is there anything off-list that you want to touch on? Uh, no, I think one of the biggest things is honestly, like, uh, this, this is a time to explore and monitor new markets, i.e. heritage. Uh, stuff like that to kind of see what kind of liquidity is there because at this point, you know, stuff's not moving fast. So if you can take a little bit of time and not necessarily invest the money, just invest a little bit of time and looking into that stuff, doing a little bit of research, uh, I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. And this is the time where to me it makes sense to do it because you know what? Hey, 
stuff's not moving. I can gather some research. I don't have to be super fluid and flexible. I can look into venues I haven't looked into to make cards more liquid or to improve acquisitions and just not care. Yeah. I think it's good to know. That's basically just the the running theme of, of these three episodes. Yeah. All right. So I can't remember who went first last time we did picks, so I'm just going to babble on. Yeah, go for it. All right, my pick this week is uh, Idealic Tutor. Yeah, from, I love that card. Yeah, Theros right. Beyond Death. Uh, a solid reprinting from Morning Tide. I added this to my list to watch in June when it was a solid $6.48. CK was buying at 2 and it's gone basically nowhere in regards to market after uh, all adjustment. And what we missed out on was CK Biolist doubled up, or a little more than double, to about $4. Now, this card, you, you, you read it, you understand it. Just two and a white sorcery, search your library for an enchantment card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. It's neat, it's tidy, it does one thing. So you look at this card and you think, oh, we're going to play this in enchantment-heavy decks. This could be enchant uh, an enchantress-style deck. This could be an auras deck. And, you know, maybe some enchantment synergies decks. And that is basically where you see, see it played. It's very difficult to slot this in in another deck that doesn't rely heavily on enchantments because generally you have better, more versatile tutors competing against demonic tutor, etc. And I'll, I'll talk to that a little bit later. Far as the format is concerned overall you know if you're not doing the enchantment thing you're not going to run this card uh, no this is one of the best general tutor options because it gets any type of enchantment unlike something that just says hey go get an aura so cards like heliod's pilgrim also function well in similar decks but again you know there's that aura restriction there so it's the open-endedness of idyllic tutor that I really like, and that's why we're looking at it, and that's kind of why it's all over the format. Historically, we see this in base Simic decks, as they are... Oh, not Simic, sorry, Selesnia, as they are the, the de facto enchantment and enchantress decks, but as time goes on and we see cards like, again, Arcana Weaver, the demand for this across, you know, more colors kind of goes up, and we'll take a look at, at stocks real quick. And you see exactly what I was talking about. You know, you have Sithis and uh, Tuvasa up at the top. You go with some mono green, mono white. You get to Gan. You get to Earl the Miststalker, which is like the oldest enchantment general, I believe, in the format. Like, that's what people were rocking originally. Then you see some weird stuff like Gavi Nest Warden, but I believe that's more to get things like Astral Slide, Astral Drift, the blue enchantment from Nemesis that has counters that you remove that lets you counter spells. Or of Silence, is that the name of it? Something like that? Yeah. Um, so, the demand for this across more colors, more sub-strategies of the enchantment strategies demand this. So, it's difficult to look to the future and not see a time where players aren't looking for this card to play alongside Enlightened Tutor in white and Demonic and Vampiric Tutors in black to round out the suite. So, that's what I mentioned earlier, right? That's what you have in non-white colors that's what you're competing with this is better than gamble and in some weird situations this is still better than the than worldly tutor than court of calling that can yeah. get an enchantment creature 
Like, this one, just still better. Enchantment-based decks, while not the most popular themes, are still a rather prevalent and consistently supported theme, especially over the last few years. We've seen a lot of new commanders come out across a number of unique products, not just the commander decks. Yeah. So at this point in time, I would consider this foundational to the aforementioned themes with a growing presence in the format. As far as timeline goes, after picking this a few weeks back when we started the series, we saw a bit of a stall on the average price while market floated well below that alongside a stall on Biolus growth. But market in the last week or so has overtaken the average, and we should start to see consistent growth on both the open market and buy list. I would expect to see a large enough growth in price in mid-2023 so we can move these to buy list profitably in early Q2 2023. Now, something else I started to dig into was what was going on just in the raw numbers. And right around the NEO spike, on stocks that's when ck's buy list basically 2.5 x is while market price drops about seven percent after neo release so that's the decline i just showed yeah now 800 near mint copies have sold in over two months averaging about one per sale and the largest near mint quantity bought at one time was four in july 360 lp copies were sold in that same time period and the average quantity bought at once was also one and the largest quantity sold was also four in early but this was early august not july there are about 800 combined near min and lp copies left on tcg players so at current velocity will run out of near min and lp copies before the end of the year so this will cause a spike and should ripple through CK as people shift to buying their stock from there over a TCG player, which in turn raises the prices on CK. And that's what's going to cause that uh, that rise in buy list. That's when we'll cash out. So again, that'll be in like early Q 2023. So somewhere between there and like uh, mid-year. Reprint equity, I'm all shrugs about. This one is very difficult to track. Yeah. So, <clears throat> as mentioned, this was initially printed in, in Morning Tide, which wasn't quite the Stone Ages of the game, but it was like mid. May as well have been. Yeah, mid to late 2000s, the best. And my expectation is that we would see this again alongside heavy enchantment themed things. This is not good enough for standard play, and I want to believe Watsy knew that, making it a plant in Theros Beyond Death for commander players outside of the set commander decks. But another enchantment-themed commander deck could probably be the better home for this card overall yeah. than a standard set. And with the demand numbers that we're seeing, the velocity that we're seeing, I don't think anything's going to impact this now unless the demand for enchantment-based cards themes just folds very quickly yeah. and I, I can't imagine it's going to happen i understand the spike at neo was because of the like six or eight whatever it was generals that came out of there that go shintai's and stuff like i get yeah. that but that didn't cause the huge drop off that spike was in preparation for it and the drop off that we saw in eventual research in the market not entirely tied to the fact that go shintai did not like rise up as one of the best commander themes to be doing um so, again, I don't think that a reprint is really going to do much to this. But the one thing I do believe is that because this was printed in Morning Tide, while it wasn't the most expensive card, it, there just weren't a lot 
of copies out there, so there weren't a lot of people playing this. It did live at $20 for like ever, so it was kind of prohibitively expensive, but I think it really was a lack of visibility that pushed this down uh, in price. And so I think once people continue to buy this, they continue to make decks, we see that feedback loop, loop on Rec, we see more people play this uh, on camera, the more they'll buy in. This is unrelated to replay, sorry. Um, buy quantity, I think a dozen would be my ceiling, and I'd probably trade them out. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I picked this two or three weeks ago, and market is already up a bit from where I picked it, you know, a whole, like, 30 or 40 cents in a, in a couple of weeks, but the velocity on this card is still not to be believed. So if you get in now, your outer trade could literally be profitable in about a week. I just... It's a really good turnaround. Literally profitable by the time you receive it from the Postal Service. Yes, which is insane to think about. Pretty so, good. Yeah. So that's me. Mine uh, is something of an anomaly. So I am picking Time Spiral Remastered Gemstone Caverns. Why? Well, the card's been a flat line uh, since it released. Uh, taking a look at the stocks graph, our low is sitting right at around the same floor as it was uh, when it released. So why pick it? Well, low is sitting at about $31. The interesting thing about this is over the last couple of weeks, uh, the quantity has halved. So about three weeks ago, we were sitting at about 200 copies of Times by Remastered LP Near Mint. And the last three days, sorry, two days before this recording. So we're recording on the 17th. Starting on the 15th, 33 copies have sold at the low price. So there's clearly an absurd amount of liquidity here. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, it's not really centered on constructed because there's not a lot of legacy events and there's not a lot of modern events that are requiring this. And Adnaz is gone. So the main proponent of it in modern doesn't exist. Uh, the interesting thing is when you look at EDH rec and the top commanders here, it's a bunch of casual fodder from Commander Legends. Uh, now, I became familiar with this card because of CEDH. Okay. Because CEDH is incredible. Uh, I love the format. It's great. That's just not the case. Uh, now, being that it's seeing play in casual decks, and I guess I should as an aside, it is seeing play in Crashcade some yeah i was trying to figure it out it's like i just saw this on camera yeah it, it's in crash kate is like a two or three of which to me would not be enough to drive that much liquidity because crash kate isn't exactly doing well right now it's mm -hmm. not like it's running the table at all of these high-end modern events we're having yep but the fact that the liquidity is there and largely buy lists haven't reacted to me, that says that this is an opportunity to get in before the explosion. Okay. Because if there's an insane amount of liquidity, it's not really seeing much constructed play, and the play that it is seeing is in some strange commander combinations. Now, granted, a lot of these have Thrasios, Timna, stuff like that, but a lot of them are like crown you know spells matter decks, stuff where you wouldn't really expect to see this. And all of a sudden, guess what? gemstone caverns is there yeah uh i think that if this is a card that is now getting more casual appeal 
this is where I would want to be because this card doesn't have a lot of reprint equity. You know, it was in Time Spiral and Time Spiral Remastered. Uh, it's a card that design-wise, obviously it was designed by World Champion. This was, you know, back when World Champion could design a card. Mm-hmm. I think it was PVDR, maybe, that designed this one. This isn't exactly an intuitive card design. I think it was V. Was it? Okay, the, yeah, Moshvitz. Yeah, this was a design yeah. that Zvi had been kicking around forever. That's right, yeah. He was trying to make a land come into play before you started the game. Yeah. Um, so there we go. That's if. That's where it's at. Uh, now, I think that that design kind of precludes it from a big reprint. Now, we did just have leaked by Amazon, thanks guys, uh, Dominaria Remastered. Yeah. But I don't think we're in any risk of getting Gemstone Caverns. Maybe Gemstone Mine, but certainly not Gemstone Caverns. So I don't see a lot of reprint risk with this. Now, as far as depth, I'm not going too terribly deep here. Not more than, you know, four to six maybe. Uh, and only because I really do not want to have, like, a bunch of them laying around. Because if I'm only moving two at a time into Modern and I am only moving one at a time into EDH, it's not the kind of thing that I want to have a ton of laying around. And that's just how it is. You know, that's fine. Um, But I think it's an incredibly good opportunity uh, to get it on this beforehand. And at $30, I don't know when exactly you'll be making money back, obviously. It could be a bit. Uh, But it's not going down, clearly. You can look at the price graph. It hasn't gone down at all. Mm-hmm. And even looking at the time spiral one, it every time that the time spiral run spikes and then comes back down, the floor is a little bit higher each time until we're where we are now at the $30 floor that we're seeing, uh, especially because time spiral remastered was hit by the supply issues during COVID. It's not like there's a ton of them laying around. Uh, there's not a lot of this you're going to find. It's not like the double masters pallets that are over in Europe making their way through customs or whatever the case is. Yeah. Just think it's a good opportunity. This is a card that I just forget about. Like, yeah, I don't I, know. I think a lot of people do. Can't tell you how I got my copy or my two, whatever it is. Cause yeah. I wasn't playing during time spiral and I, this card had no use in any deck I was playing. So I did not pick it up in trade or buy it at a store but i am happy that i own it so i don't have to pay the 37 dollars if i need it for an event which is really the only way i would pick up this car like it used to be in charge tron for a hot moment which was just also known i think as counters tron because yeah everything had a type of counter on it um you already mentioned this is in the teamer cascade deck in modern and a number of cascade decks that are very similar are running it uh, in there as well generally speaking winning with either living end or rhinos just to get you ahead the extra turn and i think this is a fantastic card they aside from the ley lines it really seems like watsi does not like generating temp or recycling a template for a card that enters the game before the game. Yeah. And I think Serum Powder might have been reprinted once. I think it was one of the Master sets. Yeah. 
Yeah, iconic. But they are yeah. very hesitant to play with that space because the design is kind of dirty. It's, it's not real a, bad. Yeah, it, it's it's not interactive, and they don't like that. I mean, at this point, it seems like design-wise, the non-interaction they want is emblems. Yeah, and that, exactly. That's it. Yep. And that's perfectly fine, which means that the only time we'll really see this is in reprint sets. So if you're worried about this as a card that you want for Commander, for CEDH, for playability sooner rather than later, absolutely. And then, yeah, only your one or two copies because that's all you really need. If you're yeah. looking for something to just kind of stock that's really stable, I think this is a good-looking quantity you, you discussed because it does appeal to more than just Commander players. Yeah. It, appe it appeals to modern players. And if you have a shop or you support a modern player base, it's not easy to get cards like this. No. Unless you know what you're looking for. So having some on hand is a good idea. Do you need to restock when you're out? I don't know. Yeah, I I honestly don't know that it's something you do want more than even as a store, you know, like I touched on, four to five-ish. You know, four to six. I, I just don't think it's something that, you know, someone will come in, they'll ask for the two, but there's not going to be a bunch of people doing it. It's just better to have it when they yeah. need it than not have it and be like, oh, sorry, can't help you. Yeah, it's not the sage of, you know. Yeah. And so I think between price, demand, and uh, liquidity, I think the, that's the right number. I think there's a fine price to get in on, and I think it's just a, a great card. Just kind of ride for a bit. We're not looking to stack these to the ceiling, so we're not looking to tie up a lot of cash. And I think it's a really good uh, churn opportunity. And also a good experience for people to monitor and maintain inventory to appeal to multiple crowds. Yeah, you know, get, definitely. Get, get used to that. So I think that's going to be it for this week, right? Yep, that's it for me. All right, so we are at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Patreon, Facebook, and YouTube. Uh, I am at Halt I am Reptar. You are at Thirsty Sizzler. We'll see you next week.